This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing new Firehouse Pairs. Pair your favorite small sub with a signature side, like the awesome five cheese mac and cheese. And remember, a portion of every purchase at Firehouse Subs goes towards helping first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating in locations only, Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Time to Adapt. I'm your host, Mac, and as always, I am joined by the lovely... Selena. Hi. <laughs> Tonight's today's... Ugh, words are hard today. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been... It's been a... We're now in 2018. Oh, boy. Where children are eating Tide Pods. And the government is shut down. How wonderful. Anyways, welcome to Time to Adapt, where we break down movies and the books behind them. <laughs> Today, we're going to be diving into another book from our childhoods, uh, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the Chronicles of Narnia. Yes. So, Mac, what is the Chronicles of Narnia slash Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? Tell the fans. <laughs> Tell well, the people. Well, there was a book that was written by an author named C.S. Lewis, which is short for Clive Staples Lewis. I see why he changed it to C.S. <laughs> I mean, I can't see. Mine was short for Clive Lewis. Clive no. Lewis. C.S. Lewis sounds so much better. It's concise. And it sounds proper and very British. It is very British. Well, he, he was born in Belfast, Ireland. Uh, born Irish, yeah. 1898. Um, he was a famous British novelist, poet, poet, academic, medievalist, literary critic, essayist, lay theologian, broadcaster, slash lecturer, among the many things that he did throughout his life. He knew his shit. Yeah, he, like, he was at, he studied at Oxford. Like, this dude was a smart bro. Damn. I said bro, I'm sorry, peoples. It's okay, it's 2018. It's, it's every man for himself. Every man and woman and child for themselves right now. But yes, um, so an interesting thing about the book is that it was published in 1950, and it was the beginning of this, the Chronicles of Narnia, which was this, um, oh God, there's about eight books, eight or seven books. I can't remember. About seven. seven. There are seven books. And seven books, and they all take place in this universe this mythical land called uh, Narnia. The book that we're going to be talking about today, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, focuses on the four Pevensey children. And this is during World War II. And they are sent to the countryside um, because during that time, a lot of children were being evacuated to the countryside. This is during the Blitz. And so they are staying at um, this old house with this old professor um, and his house um, housekeeper, Mrs. McCready. And Lucy, the youngest one, finds a wardrobe. And she discovers that there is a magical world behind it. And as the book kind of goes on, all four children end up in Narnia. And they have to save their brother from the Wicked Witch. They don't... The White Witch. White Witch, yeah. But she's wicked. Yeah. The White Witch. And... Um, then they have to save Narnia too from her. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of saving, a lot of we're counting the whole future of this country on you four children, <laughs> which is very much <laughs> theme in a lot of uh, kids' books is you young children, save this world. 
Yes. But, um... Quite so. Yeah, so going back to C.S. Lewis, uh, he's best known for his works of fiction, um, The Screwdriver Letters, The Space Trilogy, and, as everybody knows, The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, Surprisingly, one thing I didn't know while researching this, that C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien were really close friends. Oh, yes. I had no idea. Um, They both served on the English faculty at Oxford University, and they were active in the informal Oxford literary group known as the Inklings. And the Inklings was a literary discussion group between the early 1930s and late 1949. Uh, They were literary enthusiasts who praised the value of narrative and fiction and encouraged the writing of fantasy, which is like, ah, that is, I don't know. I, I thought that was cool. But... Yeah, so the Narnia, like, C.S. Lewis, like, with the Narnia books, they sold over, like, 100 million copies. Um, And, yeah, so out of all of his books, they've been sold the most and have been adapted to stage, TV, radio, and cinema. It's sold over 100 million copies. Yeah, I said it. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. Uh, (laughs) Oh, gosh, it's... It's, it's been a, a long day. Sorry, people. But, yeah, he was a kind of interesting dude because um, as we read the book, like, we talked about this kind of beforehand. Like, as we read it now as adults, like, you, we see a lot of, uh, like, Christian ideas and themes in the books. And the reason was he originally was baptized in the Church of Ireland, but he fell from those beliefs until he, re- like, returned to it. Um, at like age 32 and he kind of just had like renewed faith and so a lot of his writings and a lot of his books later on uh, they focused on that especially his radio broadcasts which were during World War II he would do these radio broadcasts that were on um, more like spiritual channels and uh, just kind of trying to have some hopeful messages while you know World War II was going on which was yeah. needed. Um, I didn't know when I did some research that he had also fought in World War One. Like he was injured at the Battle of Somme, right? Yeah, yeah, he was injured at the Battle of Somme when he was nineteen. Ooh, yeah, he wow. was really young, which is crazy. That is insane. Yeah, so he he had an interesting life. He died in 1963. So he, sounds like he had a he had an interesting life for sure. Mm-hmm. But obviously, the his most well known works are the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. Like I, they're obviously considered a classic. Like if you haven't heard of them, I don't know where you've been. Yeah, bro, <laughs> where you've been. So tell me, Selena, where, when did you first read it? How how did it come into your life? Ooh, gotta think back really far. I I believe I was. Probably around seven or so. And my mom read them to me at first. Like, because she would read, like, me and my brother, like, bedtime stories. So she read us, like, Wizard of Oz, and then she read Chronicles of Narnia. So that was it. And then um, I just started reading them, like, rereading them for myself. Because I really enjoyed the books. Like, I've always loved fantasy stories. And I've loved how, like, I low-key was like, I know it isn't real, 
but I to want be. to check out every wardrobe I see just in case I can go to Narnia. Yeah, because yep. I want to see centaurs and talking animals. Uh, like, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I was all about that. So yeah. Um, what about you? How did you get introduced? Well, it's interesting. Um, it happens to be like one of my mom's favorite books from her childhood. Oh, okay. Um, it 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 like came out the same year she was born, and um. Through some way, I, I'm not sure if it wasn't until like she was, she was a little older, or if like when she was younger, like the book had gotten into her possession. But she used to talk about how it was one of her favorite books growing up. Mm-hmm. And when I was around six or seven, I think maybe I was eight, um, I received um, for Christmas this uh, graphic novelization of *Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe* that was Ooh. illustrated by Robert Lawrie. And it's it was abridged, so it just kind of focused on the main points and I was I was really I was really like amazed by it. like the illustrations are quite are very beautiful. If you ever get a chance to find it, it's pretty nice. It's yeah, not a, it's not a out. great abridged version, but, but it's, it's great, pretty to look at. <laughs> it's pretty very pretty to look at. In fact, most of like how I envision the story when I when I had to reread it, it comes from there cuz I had to reread I read the book then in 5th grade. Uh, we we re- it was funny we read both the magician's nephew and the lion the witch in the wardrobe, and I got a free pass because I had already like read lion witch in the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. So like when I was supposed to like list, I was supposed to go home and read stuff. I didn't read it because I I knew, <laughs> I knew what the hell was going on. So yeah, I definitely it's definitely has, has a a part and place in my heart. It's very um. I mean, obviously the the Christian allegories are everywhere but it doesn't ma- it doesn't matter to me because um the i like maybe maybe we can get into this a little bit later but one of the things i really liked about it was like how the whole the whole like christ-like imagery and stuff that's very present in narnia mm-hmm. that's not just it's not like the only fantasy series has that has that feel to it there's there are many other famous um books and like stories out there that have the very have the christ-like uh complex where one dies and is resurrected and stuff like that and it's so it's not it doesn't bug me as much as i know some people who like hate the books because they hate christianity but i i i'm like it's you don't need to hate it because of christianity honestly i i don't see the reasoning behind it like obviously everyone each to their own uh but I think they're just fun books, and they're well-written, too. Yeah. And the stories are, I don't know, you can get lost in them. And yes, if you look into it, yes, you can see the, like, the uh, Christian themes and, like, the, um, behind it. But it's not so, like, it's not like trying to force-feed an idol an ideology to you i never got that feeling while reading it it was it's just a different point of view but um yeah so one thing i thought was interesting is that he wrote the magician's nephew is the one that is basically about the creation of narnia but that was the last book he wrote where so he started with the lion the witch and the wardrobe then he did prince Prince caspian Caspian, voyage of the dawn treader uh, then the horse and his boy, uh, silver chair, last battle. Then magician's nephew. But yeah. um, so the whole series is basically about the history of this world, like from its creation 
to its destruction. And the inspiration for, like, uh, for the series came from multiple sources, like traditional Christian themes, as we talked about early, like just now. And it borrowed characters and ideas from Greek and Roman mythology, and as well as from uh, traditional British and fa- Irish fairy tales, which makes sense because, like, there's centaurs, there's fauns, which are very much Greek and Roman. Mm-hmm. And just like a lot of how the creatures, um, how like the creatures in that world operate is very much tied to a lot of folklore which i think is really cool how he has this mixture which kind of explains well he is a medievalist he he's best friends with J.R. tolkien like there's going to be some influences in that area those who are listening we're recording this and in the other room there are a bunch of very very happy philadelphia eagles fans <laughs> and they've been they've been very very loud <laughs> very loud as of recently so mm-hmm. but let's get let's get into the adaptations because yes. this is what it's all mm. about so we're going to be talking about two there are multiple adaptations out there like multiple. there are two other uh television series that are coming that came out before the one we're talking about which is the bbc television series now mac you can take over this because <laughs> <laughs> he he had introduced me to a lot of like i i've seen like clips of it because it's hilarious and but mac had to sit me down so i could watch more of it and it truly is a masterpiece <laughs> of memory okay so <laughs> so a little bit of introduction so it in the night in the 80s there was a bbc adaptation of chronicles of narnia and it was it was quite well it was quite um well it well, why can't I talk today? It was very well received upon its creation. It won a BAFTA. It won a BAFTA, and it's got some very incredible... Uh, I mean, it's got incredible, like, well... Okay, costume design. But here's the thing. it's <laughs> For a, the time, though. For the time. We have to think about it for the time... Basically, what we're kind of hedging around is that... It, it has not yeah. aged well at all. Terrible. <laughs> it so, is so bad. <laughs> it's it, but not, for the time. For the time? They were really trying to do a lot with it. Yeah. They were trying to mix... Um, they were doing a, a combination of live actors, animatronic puppets, and animation. So you have grown humans like tall humans dressed up as giant beavers who look like half-priced furries. Yeah, pretty much half-priced furries. <laughs> dollar store. You, you got your dollar store furries in there. Oh, then don't you- Aslan's coming. <laughs> your Mrs. Beaver told me about Aslan. Aslan's coming. It's, oh, it is... Okay, so here's my background. This it's is hard how I to found get this. into it because it's so there's so much. Way back in um, <laughs> when I was like nine or ten, I came across the VHS copy of Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. It was in my church library because, of course, you would find it in your church library. And I brought it home, and um, it was right when our um, our class had read Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. So I'm like, "Hey, you got this movie adaptation? This is." adaptation you watch and while watching it i felt so bad because everyone was like mac this is bad 
This is, I mean, at that point, it had only been out for like 12, 13 years. And it had already aged it horribly. Had, it aged horribly within like three years of its of its creation. Um, there are just so many moments. The whole thing is on YouTube. If you guys want a treat, watch this thing. It just Or just find random moments. There are so many great moments that obviously they were trying to do something great, but it... It, it just looks terrible, and there are just so many moments that it could be a meme. There's, like, a moment where, in the story, which, is, for an adaptation, it's not far off. No, like, not it's at a, all. Like, if you're thinking about story and how they translate it to film, like, they, it's, you could say it's a true adaptation, but it just looks horrible. And <laughs> because it hasn't aged well, because of, um... A lot of a lot to do with like art and how they do animation and um, the animatronic um, Aslan. His mouth does not move in time with how he's like with the dialogue. So his mouth is just open slowly up and down, and but he's like speaking fast. So it just it's so off. It's funny though, but there's a moment where. In the story, um, they go back to Tum. Like all four kids are now in Narnia, and Lucy's gonna try and introduce them to Tumnus, which was the fawn that she met on her first in uh, journey to Narnia through the wardrobe. And they find out that his house has been ransacked by um, the White Witch's um, guards. The guards who are the guards wolves. who are the wolves, and the wolves. First off, they don't really look like wolves. I don't know what. They look, they look their like their noses are so weird. They look and like pointy and they look long. like inbred werewolves. Yes, <laughs> that fits so well, and I feel I can envision. Yeah, and so inbred werewolves. But it's like they cut out. They like they try to animate like they overlay his face speaking over because they get this. Um, they see the book. This, yeah, the no, bulletin. No, no, not book bulletin. Yeah, of like. Tumnus has been arrested for committing treason by hiding humans. And, Signed but, by me, the, the queen's captain of the guard. Long live the queen! And then <laughs> and he screams. But it's like his head zooms from like top of the frame and like gets bigger and like zooms forward. And then it's just like his floating head talking. And then he just screams. And then the episode ends. And it's. It's so bad. It's so bad, but it's so good. You it know? is. It's so bad. It's good. Like you just and like you like, you haven't even seen it. The final. I haven't watched the whole thing. I've only seen clips, and I the feel fin- like that I'm good. <laughs> the final battle in it is atrocious because they they don't have much they don't have much many extras. So it's mostly the three kids kind of fighting. Um, animated creatures and oh they, i forgot about the animated creatures they're not that great they, no. it, it ooh, hooey oh my lord oh my lord they are not good but anyway they're there if you really want to um seek them out go for it because they may not look pretty but they are very, very faithful to the books. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I have not seen Silver Chair, but I've seen um, Lion the Witch, the Prince Caspian, and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader one. The Dawn Treader one has a very, very atrocious um, 
dragon. The dragon looks so stupid. <laughs> but that's beyond the point. I'm getting ahead of myself. What we're really here to talk about, though, is the 2005 live-action adaptation that produced by Disney and Walden Media. I love it so much. <laughs> How much do you love it? I Okay, I didn't realize I loved it as much as I do until I watched it again with Mac. And yes, it's it's lacking in a it's lot slow. of it's slow and it's lacking in several areas. But as an adaptation, as an adaptation, it's like pretty good and it's just mm-hmm. like it's so pretty because the art production in it is just. I'm excited and I'm flapping my hands. She's flapping her hands like it's, an idiot. It's, but it's it's, it's it's hilarious. When art production is like mm. at a hundred, I'm just jumping up and down, geeking around. Yeah. So I'm. I'm a fan of this because it's a pretty looking film, mm-hmm. like our production wise. Yes, absolutely. So. And another great thing to add to it is that um, this is one where the effects are very good. They are very. They good. have aged gracefully. Yeah. They some have... scenes, some scenes are kind of like you could, as as like the, the, in the last few years, as TVs get get better definition and. Mm-hmm. All that jazz, you can tell some of it's not the greatest. Like the green but it can screen hold. part, when there are parts of green, like with green screen, like you, it's very noticeable and it's just kind of like, <laughs> but they don't use that a lot. So it's not like overwhelming. Yes. Um. So just like focusing on like the film aspect of it, just is at, uh, the quality of it as like a film. Absolutely. Like, um. So, as I was kind of geeking out before, <laughs> just the art production on it, like the costumes, like all the armor that was made, um, the detail that, that they made in um, for like Tumnus's legs. Like they had these prosthetics, kind of like um, the how they did the legs for, um, oh my gosh, the, Mr. Fawn, the fawn in um, Pan's Labyrinth. They kind of oh. they they did the prosthetics very similar to that except yes. for they added hair, whereas the fawn and is more tree-ish like tree yeah um, but and then for the centaurs like they literally put people in wheelie horse things they built half of a horse and stuck a human in it but it looks so good that you don't even really notice like there there are some parts where it's like. It's impressive, but like there's these cyclopses that they have, and they don't blink, which is not a big deal. But it's like it's still really good prosthetic work on their heads. Like these four extras with giant eyeballs in their faces. Like it's really it's really good work, and like they're not stumbling around like the uh, the minotaur minotaur minotaur. Thank you. like the movements and his head and his arms is pretty fluid for like such a heavy like um, piece because it's not CGI for his costume it's not CGI, which is ha mm, yes it's all cool beans very cool <laughs> so I was I was geeking out about that because I'm like oh my god it's so pretty yes and um it like the effects were blended pretty well between the cgi and like um yeah the prosthetics so but and then how was film too like there are some scenes where it's just like it's not like 
a fantastic like new age like nothing new when it comes to filmmaking but it, it's a decent leaf i don't know i think it's pretty decently yeah. shot film um the the casting is very good yes um one of the things so in the book um the as a as a as a kid reading the book there was one character i couldn't stand edmund, edmund. <laughs> and God, in he's the such a prick in the exactly in the book he's a prick in both movies he's a prick and i think i mean obviously like the actor they picked for him um, i believe his name is skander keens yes is perfectly shows him being a prick but he kind of like the thing is, like, by the end, he kind of redeems himself. Yes, he and does. And in the book, like, he, he kind of yeah. does, too. So, like, it's very similar. And, like, one thing that's really good about the adaptation is that it's... The book starts off with the two, with the um, the children leaving on the train. Mm-hmm. In the movie, this in the, in the um, Disney film... They start with the Blitz. They start with the Blitz. <laughs> and they start with the Battle of Britain. Not Battle of Britain. Goodness gracious. What's wrong with me? They start with, like, the bombing of London. And there's, like, a scene where Edmund, like, is trying to save he, uh, trying to save a, fa- a portrait of his father. And that gives a little bit more character development, and you understand why he... Is such an angsty prick. And why because... he... Yeah, and why he, why he really doesn't like his brother Peter. Because he sees his brother Peter as um, trying to become the father figure of the of of the siblings, and he's like, you're, he, "There's one scene where, as a kid, I thought he said, shut up, you think you're dead, but you're not.' <laughs> but in fact, it was, "Shut up, you think you're dead, but I'm not, but you're not.'" Yeah. And that, I mean, that little bit of character development helps out, so it's easier to watch um, watch him make really bad decisions, such as. Um, like teaming up with the White Witch, and oh my God, Tilda Swinton. Yes, the only <laughs> other person who I want to play the White Witch is David Bowie. <laughs> I don't even care. Like it can just be David Bowie with like a corset on, and like stop and what pray all you do Would like be... a whole Rocky Horror. Yes. Oh yes. Wait. Oh. oh. Well, now we just had a brilliant idea to. Mix Narnia and Rocky Horror. Uh, that, I don't know if that's I don't appropriate, know it's, though. It's not appropriate. Because <laughs> there's like children in Narnia. Are <laughs> uh, making an adult Narnia. I don't no, know. No, they did that in Epic Movie. We don't talk <laughs> about that. We don't talk about that. The only really funny part in that movie was the... I don't remember, they add thank the, God. They add a G to Narnia for copyright reasons, and they literally are like, Welcome to Narnia. <laughs> With a G for copyright reasons. <laughs> the only funny part, the rest of that movie is garbage. You don't believe me? Well, everyone believes me because it's it is garbage. It's a bad movie, but that's I watched epic it movie. when I was it's... too young. Also, the also <laughs> mis- in that movie, Mister Tumnus is like his gay lover is Mister Beaver. <laughs> I forgot. About it's, that. it's not. Anyways, good. let's get back on track. Back. We got derailed. Okay. Okay, Tilda Swinton. That's Tilda Swinton. Where, that's where we were. <laughs> Holy crap. Perfect casting. fantastic. I, okay, I watched this in theaters when it first came out. And I can't remember how old I was. Shit. I don't know. How old was I in 2005? I don't know. I'm not you. What, I nine, was an age. Yeah, I think I was like nine or, nine or ten. Yeah. But still, like, watching that, um, she, like... How she commands the screen 
as the White Witch, she was actually kind of scary. Like, I was low-key just like, you're making me very nervous. And I know I'm too scared, to, like, too old to be scared in this movie right now. But, like, I'm low-key scared. Yeah. They're, I, like, that's one thing I really liked about this um, is that in the book, it is a kid's book. So, like, a lot of the the danger, it doesn't feel like you're reading it. So it doesn't feel so immediate and it doesn't feel like i don't know like all up in your face yes. but then watching this movie first it starts off with the bombing of london yeah so there's instantly just like bam like people can die and then throughout the film like you see the white witch like turning people to stone willy-nilly and it's kind of just like but how they sh- like intro i i don't know show it is very like kind of gives it at this edge of violence and there's a lot of just how they show it it adds like fear and tension to it so i'm yes. like you're doing something right because like i'm low-key stressed well one thing that i did like about that also is um also on a level there's something i enjoyed and that was that in the real world there was that sense of danger also in narnia there was the same danger they did mention uh Susan, who's also super annoying. Oh, God, yeah. She's so annoying. She gets better. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Rude. She gets... No, she's... She's amazing in Prince Caspian. Yes, she is. That that is true. Uh, But yeah, she's like annoying. But one thing that is interesting, she says... um, She mentions how their mother sent them to the countryside to get away from a war. Now they're getting caught up in a war. And that... She didn't say that in the book, but that's still kind of like... Um, like a thought or I mean like a feeling that's kind of conveyed from her character is just like her reluctance to get into a war and this basic like just that sums up like they're leaving the real world danger to go into some fantasy danger yes (laughs) and um oh we didn't even mention Aslan 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 Liam Neeson Liam Neeson as Aslan first off this cast is just Spot on. Spot on. James McAvoy is Mr. Tumnus. Love the vo- him. voice talents of Ray Weinstone and Don French as Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Amazing. Yes. What's his name? Was uh, the the Rupert Everett as the fox? Rupert Everett. Okay, me and me and Mac like fangirling over him. Rupert because, Everett, mm-hmm. like important of being earnest. An ideal husband. An ideal husband. It's someone at dream. He's like. He's so lovely and British, and he's been in all these lovely British films that I love. So. And he's very gay. <laughs> yeah. So, so when the film was released, um, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe was released on December 9th, 2005, in both Europe and North America. Um, it grossed more than $745 million worldwide. It, was, it won the Academy Award for Best Makeup. Which it's quite deserved. I know. There is also, I found this out, um, there was an extended edition released one year later that had like an extra 12 minutes, that an extra 12 minutes of like extra footage that I can see, like I've seen some of the parts that were added and I can see why they were cut out because they just would make it even more longer. Yeah, that's that's one problem that I do have with it because like... For all that I can gush about how much I enjoy it as like a film and as an adaptation, 
it is so long at some points. It feels so long. And it's like, no matter how pretty it is, like if your pacing is off, like it's it's gonna make watching it a bit tough. There is a an interesting fun part here. Um, one of the producers of the film, Phillips, Philip Stewart, is the voice of Philip. Oh, Philip the horse? Yeah, Edmund's talking horse. <laughs> so it was like, you're a good horsey. My name is Philip. His That's name the, is actually Philip. Yes. Uh, among the other actors who are in this, I I, mentioned, I forgot to mention, Jim Broadbent is Professor Diggory Kirk, who is the old, the old professor who... Who is also in The Magician's Nephew as the main character, mm-hmm. which... Okay. Ooh, I forgot. I wanted to mention this. So, the professor. The if professor. you've read the books, you know that the professor was in The Magician's Nephew. He... Uh, he cut down the tree and made it into a wardrobe because the tree was from Narnia. There's a lot more behind that because um, he was basically the one, like the human that was like viewing the creation of Narnia because um, Aslan brought him along. There's more detail to that. But um, so in the film, they kind of hint to that because he makes so. Uh, Peter and Susan, they go to him about how Lucy is just like. She thinks there's another land in the wardrobe. And he's like all like surprised, like, really? She's been there? And they were surprised that he believed her. And I'm like, that's a freaking Easter egg. People have read the series. That, like, and the, that and the bit at the very end past a couple of the credits where the professor is like sitting in the wardrobe or sitting next to the wardrobe. Lucy tries to go in. She's like, and he's like, it won't let you in. Yeah. It, 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 it all, it never, it's never there when you want it. You have to keep, yeah, you, you just have to keep your eyes open. You have to keep your eyes open. Because he's, and he mentioned how he's tried to go back several times, but he hasn't been able to. So it's like, another reason why I like this as an adaptation is because if you've read the series, it's very much a movie that you can enjoy after reading the series because they make a nod to the, so like a character from another book. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. So. So definitely, um, Tilda Swinton was the first choice to play the White Witch. The best choice. The best choice. Unless it was David Bowie and they're doing a Rocky Horror yes. <laughs> mashup. But I can dream. We can dream. Um, originally, Brian Cox was supposed to be the voice of Aslan, but the director changed his mind. The director, by the way, is Andrew Adamson, whom before this movie was best known as the co-director of Shrek. Matt. And Shrek 2. And he received an Academy Award nomination for it, too. For Shrek? Yeah, well, Shrek 1, 1 was the first uh, um, movie to win the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Ah. Uh, okay. It's Shrektacular. No. Fun fact, he was also a visual effects supervisor on Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. We don't talk about those Yes, movie. we don't. We do not. Oh, um, shooting for Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe took place in New Zealand. Because New Zealand is dope. Yes. Also, for fu- also f- fun fact, Andrew Adamson is from New Zealand. So him, Peter Jackson, Taika Waititi, you're in good. He's in good. He's in good. Company. Good, good company. Very good company. I'm trying to see what else he has to his to his name as a director. Oh, he directed... I didn't realize he directed Prince Caspian. Which is actually another good adaptation. Yeah. I enjoyed it. 
like Mr. for many reasons. Yes. Because again, so. the costumes were fantastic. It's just, I don't know. It's for this adaptation, it was like a good collaboration on all fronts um, in filmmaking. It was just like they made a nice little gem of an adaptation. It was also a good kids movie, like because it's it's got enough like fear and and like the threat of danger that like even now as an adult, I can still like enjoy it. And even though it is long and there are some bits where I'm like, okay, these kids, like, her fake cry, she's trying so hard, it's cute. But, like, I can still enjoy it. Yes, quite so. And another thing to add is the mo- the soundtrack to this film. Pretty. It's so pretty. Yes, it was soundtrack. I have, I have a soundtrack, like, playlist on Spotify and, like, some of the songs. Like, the music from The Blitz. Ah. Uh. Ha ha, it's so, like ominous and great so the, it was composed by henry gregson williams dope um who also was did the the soundtracks to shrek and shrek 2 <laughs> um the original um a lot of the music um there were there were some like original songs written for the film a lot of them didn't make it in but the ones that did was uh, a song by emojin heap alanis morissette and tim finn and the entire soundtrack was recorded in Abbey Road Studios, and it received a Golden Globe nomination. And it's it's wonderful. I like it a lot. Um, what's interesting about the uh, um, EMI Records put out a compilation of music inspired by Chronicles of Narnia, and it did surprisingly um, have a lot of contemporary Christian artists come in hmm. and write and write some music, including from um, Jars of Clay, which is a well-known Christian rock band. I used to listen to them for like a, a, a week when I was like 10. We don't talk about that. So. You just did. <laughs> I, I, I did, didn't I? Uh, nuts. But yes. So without a doubt, it's not the greatest adaptation. It's far from the worst adaptation. But I it is up there. It's up there as one, like of the, one of the better ones. Out of the ones that we've talked about so far, I would put it at the, like, close to the top of our list. Like, mm-hmm. there are. Actually, I think I would put it kind of at the top of our list because, like, beside, well, no, Tintin actually would have to go below because they they do so much stuff that's so different. <laughs> I love Tintin, but I'd have to put it below. All right. But yeah, just reiterating what we've said is just it is very true to the book, and it's it makes it enjoyable for somebody who like loves the books to watch it and still get the same enjoyment out of it because. The casting, costumes, everything is just like, it's so, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Pretty great. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, Jeff. So, uh, if you've never read the books before, um, give them a shot. They're um, really short. They're short. They're easy to read. They're actually really. They're fun. They're fun books. Yeah. My favorite, uh, probably out of them, is probably the Horse and His Boy because mm. it's. It's interesting because out of all the books there, that's the one that focuses on um, somebody in the world yeah. of Narnia, not the Pevensies or another human from Earth. Yeah. And as, as always, I guess I guess there's one thing more thing we can talk about um, really briefly. It's one of the main points of the book that that gets a lot of that there's a bit of Christian allegory too. And that's the death of... So the spoilers, 
in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the lion is killed and then resurrected. So Aslan is... He is a Christ figure, and in fact, in the later books, especially in the Dawn Treader, it's kind of... It's really hinted at that... Um, Lion, the Aslan is basically Jesus Christ in another world, because there's a bit at the very end where it's like, you can go back to your other world where you know me by a different name, and you're like, ah, ah, yeah. So, but what happens is, Aslan um, takes the place of Edmund, takes the place uh, um, because Edmund was was to be killed. Aslan took as his a traitor, as a traitor. Aslan took his place. Um, the white witch kills him on the stone table, and in under the under the terms of the deep magic before the dawn of time, and then like the night the next day is the great battle, and the original like and so as I believe, um, Aslan made the deal with the white white witch that there would be no that like there would be no battle then because they had they, they had settled it. However. The White Witch was like, no, I'm still going to go to battle. Yeah. <laughs> so the next day, and like, it's Lucy and Susan watch as Aslan is killed. Mm-hmm. His mane is cut off. He's killed. And they go to him once everyone leaves. And it's then that the stone table cracks, which is a reference to, um, this is a reference to something that happened when Christ was, was killed. And then he comes back because of the deeper magic before the dawn of time. <laughs> Which is kind of a deus ex machina, but it it works. It does work. Cause... It works. And the one thing, so I, I texted this to you. I'm not going to get so deep into it. <laughs> but something occurred to me. So if um, if the lion is Jesus, right, and he dies, he's, he's killed to pay for someone else's sin and is resurrected, does that make the white witch Judaism? I don't think so. You don't think so? No, because when I was doing the research, like, unless unless he was, like, super, like, in the closet about being anti-Semitic, like, throughout his life, it does not look like he was anti-Semitic. No. So. It was just a, it was just a shower thought I had, and it was like, huh. huh. It kind of, I mean, like, as a theory, it works, but yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like, so, from what I've seen, like, what I've read, like, I haven't found any evidence to back that up, but... It is an interesting shower thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, well, thanks for listening. I think that wraps it up for pretty much Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. I'm Max Schaefer, and I am Selena. And tell me, Selena, do you have do we have any ideas what we're gonna do next? We have several brewing. We have several brewing. That's true. Okay. And if everything goes right, we might have a very special special episode coming up soon. But keep your ears to the ground. We'll tell you what's coming soon. Thanks Thanks for listening. And until next time, this has been Time to Adapt.